Well, hello again, and good afternoon from very hot Tyler, Texas. Uh, word is that today and the rest of uh, these next few days, we're going to be hitting 100 degrees officially, which is kind of interesting that here we are in mid-August, and we actually officially haven't hit 100 degrees yet in Tyler, which is, I think, quite unusual. But any, any way you slice it, it's hot. It's hot, and it's supposed to be hot. It's East Texas and uh, it's August, so there you go. There you go. I'm glad you're joining in. I uh, hope that you're having a good week, and as we continue on through our study through the book of Acts, we will be in Acts chapter 25 today, uh, leading up to some pretty important stuff that we read uh, in these last few chapters of the book of Acts. In case you're wondering, yes, we're going to continue this study uh, after we finish the book of Acts. Uh, no, I haven't quite decided yet what uh, that's going to look like, but I have a few things rummaging around in my head. And so if you would like to ship me a uh, suggestion or idea or two, you're welcome to do that. I do have some thoughts about that, and so we'll see uh, how that plays out and let you know uh, what that's looking like uh, next week. We'll have three more studies, uh, basically three more studies, after today in the Book of Acts. And so that'll be... Uh, uh, we'll be looking forward to uh, seeing Paul ultimately uh, under house arrest in Rome as that's where Luke uh, leaves him in Acts 28. Uh, good to see some friends showing up already. Larry and Lynn Murphy, love you guys, miss you guys. I love your family so very much. Uh, my dear friend Jamie Nelson, wow, it's been a while. Nice to see you. Uh, uh, great to be around folks that I've known and uh, been close to for such a long, long uh, time. And it's, uh, it's quite a blessing, quite a humbling thing to know uh, that uh, there are so many folks that have walked you through all the different stages of your life and that you still have some connection with them. It's a great, great thing. Uh, we're going to see uh, in, in Paul's journey to Rome uh, after this horrendous uh, ship uh, voyage and shipwreck and stranded on an island through the winter and finally making it to Italy and then making that trip inland through uh, uh, all the way to Rome, that it's uh, such an amazing thing that there are people uh, that travel to walk with him, uh, travel from Rome, uh, perhaps one or two days journey, to walk right back, to turn around and walk right back with him. And that's the kind of folks that you want on your side and by your side throughout life and I've been very blessed to have many many of those and many of you are a part of this uh, study such as my dear friends uh, Lenny and Joe Allard and their whole family which is a, a great blessing to us and to our kids and now to our grandkids um, there with that uh, uh, wonderful family it's a great great Great, great blessing, and um, and so I want us to go ahead and get started. We're in, as I said, Acts chapter 25. Uh, my dear friend Debbie waves hello, and so hello to you as well. Nice to have you rolling with us this afternoon. Um, so uh, Acts 25, we saw Paul give a defense before the Jewish leaders in Acts chapter 22, tell his story, and by telling his story, telling the story, and we encouraged each other to do that as well. I shared my own personal story uh, of faith in Acts uh, when we were doing that lesson from Acts uh, chapter 22 last week. 
So I hope that you were able to uh, view that. If not, um, just scroll back to a week ago Tuesday, and um, and you'll be able to listen to that uh, lesson in Acts 22. Great, great encouragement from the Apostle Paul as he talks about his faith. And in defending yourself, that's what you do. You say, hey, here's here's why I believe what I believe, and here's here's how I came to faith, and here's who influenced me, and Here's the setting and what happened when I was baptized, and here's how my life has been since. Uh, my life before Christ, my conversion uh, to Christ, and my uh, life since. That's a pretty easy way to tell your story. Uh, you just share those things. Uh, and that's what Paul does in Acts 22, and again in Acts 26. He has a little bit briefer defense in Acts 24, as he appears uh, before the governor Felix in uh, uh, Caesarea, but um, here in Acts chapter 25, it's going to be briefer still, uh, as he appears before uh, the governor who replaces uh, Felix. Remember in uh, Acts chapter 24, Felix, that great verse, I think it's verse 25, where it says in the old King James Version, Felix trembled. Paul was talking to him about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come. Um, and Felix had trembled at Paul's message of all of those things. And I, I think, you know, that's, um, it was upsetting to Felix what Paul was saying. And I, I think sometimes, and especially in our current culture right now where the, the motto seems to be, um, you know, don't confront anybody about religious differences. You know, let them have their views and you have yours and really don't uh, try to convince anybody uh, of what you believe. And I think that's not anything like what we read about in the book of Acts um, because they had a burden on their heart for the souls of people. And uh, Maybe Felix wanted to hear that message. Maybe he didn't. We know from how Acts 24 ends that he was hoping Paul would offer him uh, some money to get to, to have him released. And uh, Felix continued to meet with Paul and had him in jail for two years in prison there in Caesarea, hoping that that would happen. And Paul, of course, wasn't going to do that. But what he was going to do is take advantage of that time. And in this case, the he didn't have a captive audience. He was the captive, but the governor uh, was and his wife were the um, uh, were the audience. And so Paul shared that story, but he didn't just talk about the wonderful things and peace and love and how merciful and gracious God is, and all of those things are true. And aren't we thankful that He is? Because none of us would have any hope of salvation were were that not the case. None of us would have any hope of salvation had Jesus not come and died for us. That is definitely true. It's just not the whole story. Because what Paul talks about with Felix is righteousness and self-control and judgment. Uh, our mantra in this day and time in 21st century America is that one verse in Matthew 7 verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. And it's like that's the only verse in Scripture when in reality, it's not even the only verse in Matthew 7, because the rest of the chapter speaks about making good judgments and about living righteously and choosing the narrow path and being obedient to Jesus, not just hearing what he says, but actually doing what he says. Those are you, Nobody talks about those verses, but that's the kind of thing that Paul talked about with Felix. 
the governor in Caesarea in Acts 24, the righteousness that comes only through Jesus Christ, uh, the self-control, that's how we're supposed to live. And that's so far away from, from where our country is right now. Our country says basically, look, you don't need to have any self-control. Just do what you want, just so it doesn't bother anybody else. And granted, it's great to live in a democratic republic where you have, you know, right to have, to, to seek your own life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's, we're very thankful that that is um, a, a part of who we are as a nation. But that's, um, in the Bible, in, in our relationship with God, it's a different mantra. It's a mantra of self-denial and self-control. Jesus saying, if you want to be my disciple, that's great. But to do that, you're not to set out to try to, you know, seek your own <laughs> liberty and happiness. What you're, what you're saying you're going to do is to follow my will and to do the Father's will, even putting it above your own. And that is the call to uh, self-control and self-denial. And that's, that's the way Paul lived. That's the way faithful people in the Bible lived, uh, Old Testament and New. That's the way Jesus lived, and, um, and that's the way we're to live. Um, and, and that's what Paul told them. Uh, he told them about righteousness that comes not from our own lives, but from being obedient to Jesus Christ and giving our lives to him, and, and self-control, that, that that's how we live, uh, not, to, not selfish, but selfless and seeking what's best for others before ourselves, and the judgment to come. Yeah, there, there is going to be a judgment, and we, we can't deny that and be faithful to Scripture. Jesus himself talks about it on several occasions. Most of the teaching in the last few chapters of the Gospels, when he's preparing people for his death, he tells stories, parables about the judgment to come. And he calls on us to be watching for that and to live in such a way that the when question that that's going to happen doesn't matter. I've shared some things before in some of these Facebook devotionals a few months back as we were getting into this pandemic when everybody was, oh, no, all these signs are pointing to Jesus going to be returning. And maybe he will. Maybe he'll return before I finish this lesson in Acts 25. And I mean, it's a good lesson, but it ain't that good. I would love for him to come before I finish um, but it also may be another 2,000 years, and, and we forget, we forget how, um, how difficult this world is and how difficult this world has been for 2,000 years. Granted, this, this novel coronavirus pandemic has just really brought us to our knees. I mean, it truly has, and it has is, it is, uh, caused us to, to be very introspective about where we where we really place our trust, I think. And it's, it's been a very difficult time, and now we're in the midst of a very polarizing, very what's going to be a very vicious uh, presidential campaign these last few months, and then the election, and then the reaction. Whoever loses is going to cry foul, and they're not going to accept the results. And it's going to be, you know, another few months after that while we're trying to make sense of everything and and trying to fight through all of the the, the, the people who don't like uh, how that election turned out. Um, and so it's going to be, you know, there's still going to be difficulties. And, and we understand that. It's a hard time for many economically and, and partly because of this, mostly because of this 
um, the pandemic that's really wreaked havoc on us economically. Um, and, and, and so let's not deny the difficulty of the times, but let's also not pretend that this is the worst it's ever been. It's not the worst it's ever been. It's not even the worst it's ever been in our country. <laughs> it's bad, but it's been worse at times. And it's certainly not the worst that it's ever been in this world in the last 2,000 years. And so for us to say all the signs are pointing to Jesus' imminent return is to not read your Bible, not read chapters like Matthew 24 and and uh, Mark 13 and Luke 21, where Jesus says, look, there's going to be a lot of people saying, look, there he is, just don't worry about it. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be uh, disease. There's going to be all kinds of things, earthquakes and everything. And he, and those Jesus describes more as non-signs than signs. Basically, he's saying those things have always been going on in the world, and, and they will continue to go on up until I come back. Uh, and so that's that's not an indication at all. It's an indication that the world is still the same. It's the same as it was in Abraham's day, same as it was in Noah's day, same as it was in King David's day, same as it was in in Jesus' day and the days of the first century church. That's what Paul shared with the governor Felix when he talked to him about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come. Yes, one day Jesus will return. That's exactly right. When that happens shouldn't matter to us. The fact that it's going to happen is what matters. And, and so we're, we should live like Jesus is Lord and will return. And I think that's what Paul told Felix, and Felix didn't like it. And he was afraid. Uh, the old King James Version, Felix trembled, but he, he became afraid. He was fearful of what Paul was saying, and he was fearful because of what it meant in his own life, because he wasn't ready to repent, and that word just means to change, and he wasn't ready to do that. He liked his place in this world. He liked his place in the Roman government. Uh, he liked being the governor. He liked uh, his position and his power and uh, his wealth, I'm sure, and, and, and so he He's the one who said, look, when I find it more convenient, I'll, I'll holler at you again. And I think what he was saying there is when I get over this discomfort that you've made me feel, uh, then, then let's, let's go back to, to talking about the, the things that don't threaten me as much. I think that's our, our tendency too. We look to those passages of scripture that we like, <laughs> that we can keep really easily, um, that don't threaten our lifestyle right now and our values. And that's, that's not the way to read Scripture. Um, so now that, find, that leads us to, to chapter 25. And, um, and again, Felix leaves him in, in prison for two whole years, hoping to get a bribe out of him, interested to hear his experiences and, and his messages. All of that is true, uh, but primarily wanting to wanting to receive some money. And at the end of the two years, he is replaced by the next governor, Portius Festus. And Felix uh, decides that he's going to give the Jews one last favor. And so he doesn't let Paul go. He knows he's innocent, knows he's there simply because of their jealousy, uh, and knows he's done nothing worthy of death. I mean, he's received the letter from the uh, commander 
in Jerusalem who uh, saw Paul's life being threatened and so had him moved under armed guard, heavily armed guard, to Caesarea, this very important headquarters city for the, the Roman army in the first century there um, in that area in, near Judea and, and, or near Jerusalem. And, and, uh, and so he knows, he sees what's going on, but because one more power play before he leaves, he just leaves Paul in prison. And so Felix is replaced by this man, Portius Festus. I love that guy's name. Uh, you got to hand it to uh, uh, the writers of Gunsmoke. They had uh, their deputy and Ken Curtis. What a great role he had. <laughs> I mean, you think of Festus, if you were a child of the 60s and 70s, it's just hard for you to not see uh, that deputy and talking to Matthew. And um, what, a, what a great, great, wonderful show that was. Um, and so I'm going to, it's going to be hard for me to not go there every time I mention Festus's name, but this is, this is, a, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Uh, in his own self-interest, Felix leaves Paul in prison. But Festus, this governor is, he seems to have it together and he doesn't seem to have as many ulterior motives. Maybe it's because he's just starting out. Um, but, um, he, he seems to be a much, much more competent uh, ruler and governor uh, than his predecessor was. And so we're going to go before the new Roman governor in Caesarea, and we start in Acts 25, uh, beginning at verse 1. Three days after arriving in the province, after he be replaced uh, Felix, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Remember, we've said that many times, even though Caesarea is north of Jerusalem, it's right there near the uh, Mediterranean Sea, and so it is much uh, lower elevation than uh, Jerusalem and the mountains that surround Jerusalem, as we love to sing about. We'll be singing that song in a couple of weeks at our church, West Erwin Church of Christ. Uh, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. So now they're in Jerusalem, and they're talking about this guy that's in prison in Caesarea. He hasn't brought him with him but they want him dead. Uh, they requested Festus, verse 3, as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. <laughs> uh, of course. I mean, that was their original plan when they were hoping to catch him while he was in Jerusalem, just being moved from one place to another. Remember those 40 men who had taken a vow not to eat or drink until they uh, killed Paul while he was in prison and jail in Jerusalem? And the chief priests and the leaders of the Jews very much in on it. So they were going to request um, uh, the, uh, uh, the commander to have him moved. And Paul's nephew heard about it, told Paul. Paul said, look, this guy, you need to take him, you need to take him to the commander. And the, the centurion that was in charge of the jail where Paul was did exactly that. And, and that's what got Paul moved to Caesarea, basically to save his life. Uh, the pagan Romans saving his life from his own people, the Jews. Uh, verse 4, Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. He's going back there after having visited Jerusalem as a new ruler, uh, doing the, the uh, uh, required stops along the way. Um, verse 5, let some of your leaders come with me, and if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. Great response, great response. And he's probably already seen the file on Paul. He's probably already seen the letter 
uh, that Lysias, the Roman commander in Jerusalem, had sent to the governor uh, Felix, uh, talking about why he was sending him there because his life was in danger in Jerusalem. No, none of that has really changed, even though a couple of years has, have gone by. And so the new governor, Festus, says, look, I, nah, we're not going to go there. Not going to go there. We, he's he's, in, he's uh, under guard in Caesarea. Let's leave him there. You guys want to come and make your case? I'll be glad uh, to have a hearing there, but not here. Uh, Festus uh, says, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me, and if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. Verse 6, after spending eight or ten days with them there in Jerusalem, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. So he's a mover, this guy is. Uh, he gets right to it. Verse 7, when Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. <laughs> they are all talk. You know, they don't have any proof. They don't have any reasonable evidence to believe that Paul has, has been a bad Jew to believe that he has threatened them or their temple or any of that uh, because it's not there. And, uh, and, and the Roman governor is going to see that, and he's going to know that. He sees these Jewish leaders just, you know, spouting all of these things without any proof, without anything concrete uh, to say this is, this is what justifies these charges. Um, they could not prove them. Verse 8, then Paul made his defense. And again, it's much shorter than what we have read uh, in previous chapters. I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Not really a defense as much as it's just a denial. Uh, they say, I've done all of these things not guilty. That's my plea. This is basically Paul's plea before the Roman governor Festus. They're, they're bringing all these charges against me. Um, my plea, not guilty. It's not true. I haven't done any of those things. Um, and, and it's right. It's, it's true. Verse 9, Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, well, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? I mean, Festus is a good politician. He's already seen a way where maybe he can kind of scoot through this and uh, manage, navigate these landmines that he has. And so he can make the Jews happy by sending Paul to Jerusalem and having the hearing there. But he can also be proven to be just and, uh, and, and safe and uh, not being uh, critical of the previous governor and the commander there because he's getting Paul's permission. You know, if Paul is okay with going there, then sure, why not? And if he gets killed, well, you know, it's just another, you know, Jewish guy that got killed by his own people because he, he, got, him, he got them mad at him for some reason that has to do with their law. Um, He's kind of washing his hands of it, and, or at least wanting to. Um, however, Paul responds in verse 10, I am now standing before Caesar's court, where I ought to be tried. Which is, again, amazing. He finds it much more likely that he will receive justice in a Roman pagan court than before his own people, before his own priests, before the Sanhedrin, um, it's just remarkable. It's so very sad, uh, but he's, he's exactly right. I am now standing before Caesar's court 
where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. Even though he hasn't been around very long and been aware of all of this because he's a new governor, he's got the files. I'm sure he and the previous governor chatted about this. Uh, perhaps he has gotten in touch with the, the uh, commander Lysias who was in Jerusalem while he was there. It doesn't matter because he knows the facts of the case. Um, and Paul acknowledges that and reminds him of that. Verse 11, if, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. A powerful statement. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Again, Paul is a Roman citizen. Not everybody could do that. But if you were a Roman citizen, you could. If you really, it's kind of like the Supreme Court. You just keep appealing and appealing and appealing until you get to the Supreme Court and then they make a decision and that's the final decision. Well, in the first century Roman world, it was, it was the emperor himself. You could have a hearing before the emperor himself. And, and Paul says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play that card. I'm going to play that card because now he might be getting the impression that, well, this Roman governor, I don't know him too well. He's already asked me if I'd be willing to go to Jerusalem. If we do that, it's a death sentence. I'm not going to take the chance. I'm going to play my ace. <laughs> and that is, let's go to Rome. Let's go to Rome. I find it much easier to think that I will be uh, released because of my innocence uh, as I stand before the Roman emperor himself rather than uh, the Roman governor Festus. And certainly rather than before his own people, the Jewish leaders. You think back on what happened with Jesus. His own people delivered him to the Roman governor, Pilate, in Jerusalem during Passover weekend. And, um, and Pilate was too weak to stand for justice and to defend an innocent man and release him. And so he had Jesus crucified. Well, Paul has heard that story. Uh, he may very well have been in Jerusalem at that time during that particular Passover, um, perhaps five years younger than Jesus or so. Um, we don't know that for sure. Paul never mentions that he had any interaction with Jesus before the road to Damascus when he came face to face with the resurrected Lord. But he does know the story. And now he has seen how his people have treated him. And he's not going to take that chance. I appeal to Caesar. If I've done something worthy of death and that's what the emperor decides, so be it. Not afraid to die. And Philippians 1, we're having a study through the book of Philippians that we just started. So if you haven't, if you haven't found that, then it's on my Facebook page. It's on our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook page. It's also on our website at westerwin.com. Um, and you can click on archives and you'll find those lessons. Just a couple of lessons so far that we've shared, but... Um, in, in Philippians, we, we find some of that same, same thing where Paul says, look, I'm not afraid to die. As he writes Philippians, one of the prison epistles, uh, along with Colossians and Philemon and Ephesians, as he writes that, he, is, um, he says, look, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, if, I'm, if I don't make it through this, <clears throat> I'll be okay. I'll be okay. And as best we can tell, he's <clears throat> He's probably at uh, the jail in Rome uh, awaiting his appeal before Caesar. 
his hearing. <clears throat> and, uh, and so he, he writes those words and he says, look, if I'm found guilty, then so be it. I'm not afraid to die. And that's what he says here, excuse me. <clears throat> and so Paul responds and he says, look, if I'm guilty, so be it. So be it. And, and probably at the end of Acts 28, ultimately he is released, not uh, condemned, does some more travels, as we have said, uh, does some more preaching and mission work, and ultimately is arrested again. And uh, that time, the next time under Nero, uh, he, is, um, he is put to death. <clears throat> so he says, I appeal to Caesar. And then I love Festus's response in verse 12. After Festus had confirmed, conferred with his council, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. <laughs> and so again, he's a politician. He sees this as an out. And of course, there's a legal thing that he has to follow as well. Paul has the right to do that, and he has taken advantage of it. And so um, the governor's hands are tied now. He's got to, he's got to send him on, but it, it gets him off the hook. And so he says, hey, you've appealed to Caesar. You have every right to do that. To Caesar, you will go. Uh, but there's still some more things that, um, that he will be heard. Um, he, he appeals uh, to Caesar, and he, as a Roman citizen, he has that right, and he realizes that it's going to take that to save his own life from his own people. Well, it's not just the Roman governor that Paul appears before as we look at Acts 25 and 26. Um, he also appears uh, before King Herod Agrippa uh, II. Who was this guy? Well, Herod Agrippa I was his father, and he's the one, as best we can tell, who put uh, James to death in Acts chapter 12 and uh, had Peter in jail ready to do that as well. Uh, and then um, he was uh, uh, struck dead. He became sick with worms. Even Josephus, the Jewish historian, talks about that uh, in similar fashion, not exactly the same, but in similar fashion to what Luke records in Acts 12. And um, and so now this is his son, Herod Agrippa II, a relatively young man when his father died. Now he has been given jurisdiction uh, over Judea. And, uh, and so King Herod Agrippa II is going to be uh, brought in because, again, Festus is a new governor. And so you pay your respects to the new guy. Uh, and that's why he went to Jerusalem. That's why uh, King Agrippa and uh, his sister Bernice are going to come uh, see him. Uh, so we start reading in verse 13 of Acts 25. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. And as a Herod, they have, remember the Herod, the family of Herod the Great, who was uh, the first of that bunch and who was uh, the reigning monarch under Roman rule. Uh, that was uh, there when Jesus was born and tried to have him put to death. Um, they, they, have, uh, they have a history with the Jewish history in that time between the Testaments. They go back to that Maccabean family uh, that caused that Maccabean revolt that gave uh, the Jews uh, some degree of, of freedom uh, while the Romans were kind of getting their stuff together. And then ultimately... Uh, they come in and, and, uh, and place Judea under their thumb in a, in a strong way. The Romans do. But the Herods still maintained a sense of power, partly through good judgment, partly through good planned marriages, those kinds of things. 
Um, and so now Herod Agrippa II is the one in power, and now he's going to hear Paul's story. And again, these are people that are very familiar with the history of the Jews and uh, very familiar with the stories that are circulating now about this sect that Paul has referred to a few times as the way. Uh, these followers of this Nazarene, Jesus, who was com convicted and put to death on a cross that now they claim is alive. Okay, a few days later, verse 13, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. So the governor, Festus, is kind of filling in King Agrippa on what's going on with Paul. Verse 16, I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they have faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. And that's the truth. And I appreciate the Roman governor sharing that with King Agrippa and, and telling him. But you kind of hear a little bit of self-serving in those words. You know, the governor is saying, well, you know, this could have gotten out of control, but I handled it well. <laughs> I know that this wasn't right. And we're thankful that he did because Paul would have been killed had he not. But still, he's kind of uh, 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 singing his own song here a little bit as well. Verse 17, when they came here, the Jewish leaders who were accusing Paul, they came from Jerusalem where he had initially talked to them. Now they were down in Caesarea, and that's where the hearing is going to be and, and was, and that's where Paul appealed to Caesar. And the governor, Festus, is filling King Agrippa in on all of this story. Verse 17, when they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. Again, pretty, pretty competent, efficient guy here. Verse 18, when his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Well, what would those be? Well, those would be things that would be condemned under Roman law, but they don't do that. Verse 19, instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus, whom Paul claimed was alive. Isn't it cool how this Roman pagan governor gets it? <laughs> he realizes that that's what the issue is here. And that's still true today. Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It stands or falls on whether or not that tomb was empty after that third day. And that's the truth. And there's much credibility to the claim that Jesus was raised from the dead and that the tomb really was empty on that third day. And we've talked about that in this study. Um, and others like uh, Josh McDowell and Sean McDowell and others uh, who, who write about apologetics, Christian apologetics, and those who work with them. Um, we're hoping to have Kyle Butt with Christian apologetics here. Uh, we were hoping for this year and we had it scheduled, but because of the pandemic, we postponed it a year. But he will come. And it's a it's a very credible thing to believe in the resurrection. Again, Jesus uh, crucified, and then three days later, uh, the tomb was found empty, and, and the word was already out that he was not there. And instead of taking everyone there and showing them, getting permission from the, um, from the authorities to break the, the seal of the emperor and 
roll the stone away and go in and look and see, see there, there's the body. Jesus is right there where we left him uh, three days ago. They don't do that. Instead, they pay the, the soldiers off that were guarding the tomb. They, they blame the, the disciples, <laughs> those men who ran with their tails between their legs when Jesus was arrested and crucified. Uh, they say they overpowered this extra-large Roman guard and stole the body away. And that's why it's not here. And we're all going, right, yeah. It takes a lot more faith to believe that story than it does to believe that maybe Jesus is actually who he said he was. And what he had said was going to happen, and he had said that repeatedly during his ministry, actually did happen. Um, well, there's, uh, again, and then the church begins less than two months later in the same city, the city of Jerusalem, uh, talking about how Jesus is now given this Holy Spirit to us, and, and he's caused us to preach his message, to believe in him, and to repent of your sins, and to confess that faith, and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, uh, Peter says in Acts chapter 2. All of that being done in the same city, all of that being done less than two months later, and then the apostles being arrested and, and charged not to teach any more in this name. And yet they leave and they go right out and they start teaching more in the name of Christ. And miracles that were done there in Jerusalem. And all a lot of things happening for several years until finally Paul, as Saul of Tarsus, uh, has Stephen killed. And then the, the persecution kicks into high gear and people are scattered finally, but not until then. All of this is happening in the same city. All of this is happening where the, all they have to do is walk across town, go to the tomb, present the body, done. But they never do that. They never do that. This Roman governor, Festus, he gets that. He realizes that that's, what's, that's the key issue here. This man named Jesus, who is a dead man, crucified by the Roman governor Pilate, that Paul claimed was alive. That's it exactly. And that's it exactly. Verse 20, again, Festus talking to King Agrippa, I was at a loss as to how to investigate such matters, which I don't really understand why that's the case. So I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. Remember, that's what the governor asked Paul if he would be willing to do, satisfy the Jews, kind of gets the, the, uh, the monkey off his back. Um, but, verse 21, when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Um, that's basically what has happened we've seen in the last two or three chapters, that they charged him. Paul was not guilty. He uh, 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 appealed to the commander to have him sent to somewhere else because they were going to try to kill him, and he was sent to Caesarea, and that's where he's been now for over two years. Felix gives way to Festus. Festus is now hearing all of this story, and now King Agrippa and uh, Bernice have come. Uh, Festus is filling him in on all of these things, and now here's King Agrippa's response in verse 22. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. Yeah, I know you would. Festus replied, tomorrow you will hear him. Again, this is a guy that says, okay, we won't wait. We'll just, sure, we can make that happen. I can make that happen. You can hear him tomorrow. And so now we go to Paul uh, before King Agrippa, starting in verse 23 of Acts 25. 
The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. I mean, this is a politician's dream right here. This, you've got the governor, you've got the king, you've got his sister, you've got all of these officers. This is, this is kind of like a hearing before the House of Representatives or the uh, State of the Union message where you've got the president there and, and others, uh, officials there. Um, it's the vice president is there as the president of the Senate. You've got the Speaker of the House of Representatives. You've got all of those representatives and senators there, Supreme Court justices. It's that kind of setting here. Uh, with great pomp, King Agrippa and Bernice come into the room, and the high-ranking military officers and other politicians are there. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. So they make all of their entry, and then you bring in the defendant. Um, Festus said, verse 24, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. Rid the earth of him, they said. Verse 25, I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing de definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa. Again, the politicians, that's not an American thing. That's been around uh, since the creation of humanity, probably. So that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner onto Rome without specifying the charges against him. Yeah, not just unreasonable, but not in your best interest, Governor Festus. Uh, again, this guy's a politician, but he, he seems to be a pretty competent one. And uh, he gets this hearing done with the Jewish leaders after he takes over for Felix. He uh, has them come back to Caesarea after meeting them in Jerusalem. The next day, they have this hearing with Paul. Paul sees the handwriting on the wall. He sees the days are numbered for his life. And so he appeals to Caesar. And, uh, and Governor Festus says, you've appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, you will go. And then King Agrippa comes. And so uh, Festus tells him the story. And the king says, hey, I'd like to hear this guy myself firsthand. And Governor uh, Festus says, absolutely, no problem, glad to. And tomorrow you will. And that's where we are right now. Um, and as Festus is explaining, beginning to this august group uh, and gathering uh, with the king and with uh, him there and with all the officials there, and then uh, Paul is brought in and and uh, Festus says, he's appealed to Caesar, I'm going to send him. But I didn't think it was very wise to send him without a, a specific list of what these charges are against him. And so I thought, you know, you're here, King Agrippa, I'll just let you weigh in on this as well. And that's why we're here right now. Um, what an incredible scene. The king wants to hear Paul and Paul is going to have a great opportunity to do just that, to share the message of Christ, to share his story, to share the story of Jesus, uh, to share the story of the gospel with not just the gov Roman governor, but now uh, King Agrippa as well. Um, and so as we look to chapter 26, what's going to happen right off is 
King Agrippa is going to say, okay, Paul, you're on. Go. Let's hear what you got to say. And it's going to be this great time where we see Ananias' words fulfilled when Paul was first converted in Acts chapter 9. He said, look, you're going you're gonna to stand before kings and you're going to say this message. And that's exactly what is being fulfilled here and will be fulfilled in Rome itself as he appeals his case to Caesar. Um, it's just an incredible scene. Uh, as you face, see this in Acts chapter 25 and 26, and you go back to Acts chapter 9, and you see Saul of Tarsus and Jesus confronting him on the road to Damascus, and Ananias, this meek Christian man, coming to him <laughs> a little bit scared in the process, telling him what's ahead for him. Jesus telling Ananias what's ahead for Saul. Um, and ultimately, now we see it being uh, fulfilled. Again, we go back to that verse, verse 19 of Acts 25, where it's the Roman governor who is telling the story of what's going on here. And he says, I'll, I'll tell you, King Agrippa, what, what's really at the core of all of this. This is about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. And that is exactly right. That's, that's exactly what Christianity is. We are talking about a man who was crucified as a criminal and was buried. He was dead, but now he's alive. And not just Jesus is alive, but he has promised that we will live forever as well, that though we die, though we are buried, we will be raised from the dead. And because of the sacrifice and the blood that was shed for us, we have a hope of eternal life and salvation through Jesus Christ. And because that tomb is empty, that is a very credible hope indeed. Once again, Paul will make his defense in Acts 26, just as he did in Acts 22 before the Jews. He did a little bit of it in uh, Acts uh, 24 uh, before the governor Felix. He did even less in chapter 25, as Luke records, before the new Roman governor, Festus. And now he will have the chance with the Jewish accusers and leadership there, the Roman governor Festus there, King Agrippa and, and Bernice there. Paul will get to tell the story by telling his story. And that's what we'll get to see on Tuesday in Acts 26. The appeal to Caesar is granted. Uh, he'll have this hearing. The king and the governor will chat about it and will say, you know, this is an innocent man here. We could have released him, but since he's appealed to Caesar, we're going to do that pilot thing, kind of wash our hands of the whole deal and send him on. And that's exactly what happens. He has that disastrous journey to Rome uh, and shipwrecked on that island of Malta and finally makes it and then travels uh, that journey up uh, through the inland of Italy to um, the capital of the empire itself. And that's where we'll find him doing what he's done ever since that first moment when he was baptized and his sight was restored and he started immediately preaching 
in the name of the one that he had been persecuting. Um, it's going to be a great last three chapters, chapters 26, where he tells the story before King Agrippa. Chapter 27, that exciting voyage to Rome. Uh, makes the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald look like small potatoes. <laughs> and then in chapter 28, as he arrives in Rome, and finally, and meets with the Jewish leaders, and uh, has Christians ministering to him, and is there for a couple of years, preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ. I hope that as we continue on and ultimately end this study through the book of Acts, that you have been motivated to tell the story by telling your story. I will see you on Tuesday. And if you can, join us on Sunday afternoon. I'll be doing that lesson from Philippians 1 uh, right here on my Facebook page. And then we'll have it on our uh, website at westerwin.com, broadcasting at 6 p.m. Sunday. And then it'll be archived there as well. I pray that God will bless you. And I pray also that God will use you just as he has used the Apostle Paul.